Guys, welcome to today's show. Today we're going to have a great episode with Randy Pixler of Black Timber Outfitters out of Utah. We're going to be talking primarily about the San Juan uh, unit for elk and for deer. We're going to be going over uh, some of the draw odds and statistics and how those hunts are for elk, for archery, for muzzleloader for early rifle and for late elk, as well as we're going to be covering uh, that area for deer, as well as the uh, bear and lion hunts that Randy and his partner Josh, uh, excuse me, Josh Butcher do at Black Timber Outfitters. I want to thank them for their time and coming on uh, here and uh, sharing their knowledge with us. I also want to thank you guys, uh, the listeners, uh, for all your support. And I want to urge you to send me an email if you have any questions, comments, or if you want to hear anybody on the podcast. I love hearing from you guys. You can do that at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can follow along our adventures on Instagram at jscottoutdoors, my new website, jscottoutdoors.com, and on Facebook, jscottoutdoors. It's uh, my business Facebook page, jscottoutdoors. Guys, I want to thank my sponsors, uh, gohunt.com, Insider, uh, Kuyu, and the Outdoorsman's and Phonescope. I want to thank those four sponsors. And if you look down in the show notes, uh, you can see the uh, by using the J. Scott promo code and the J. Scott 16 promo code, depending on the company, you can get some uh, great discounts uh, with these companies. I want to thank them for their support. Uh, let's get right to this episode. I want to remind you guys that the Utah Draw applications for big game are due on Thursday, uh, uh, or excuse me, March 2nd. And just make sure you get uh, your applications in. Utah is a great state. You can buy a hunting license and apply for all of the species across the board. You can do it online and you can do it with a credit card. So it's a great state to apply in. And like we've talked in the last couple episodes, you can actually uh, draw with very little point some of these units. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get right to it. And thank you for your support. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I've got Randy Pixler of Black Timber Outfitters. Uh, Black Timber Outfitters operates mostly in Utah in the San Juan unit. Is that correct, Randy? Correct, yep. San Juan and LaSalle are the two units that we do the majority of our stuff on. And you actually live in Cortez, Colorado, which is just across the state line there on the Colorado side, correct? Yeah, I, I'm about an hour from, from the San Juan unit, so closer than most Utahns. Gotcha. And uh, you, your uh, partner is Josh Butcher in the guide service? Correct, yep. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, um, You know, a little bit about your background and your passions, uh, what, what you love to do? Sure. So I'm, I'm 34 years old, and I've got three three wild little boys um, i hunting is definitely my passion we've uh i i enjoy hunting myself too but honestly since i've been probably 18 19 years old i actually have taken way more pleasure in taking someone out and getting them their first turkey or deer or and uh, although i do hunt for myself a little bit i've i've found that i actually enjoy way more guiding and taking other people um to to get a trophy of a lifetime which fortunately the units we hunt on are uh, are pretty trophy units so uh it it's really fun yeah tell me what it's like um you operate uh there a lot on the san juan is that mostly public ground or do you also have private ground how does that work with your hunts sure so the um the elk and deer both uh, right there in San Juan County have limited entry units. The elk unit is called San Juan Elk Ridge, um, and it is 90% public ground, um, National Forest and BLM. Um, and then the deer unit is just the Elk Ridge unit. Uh, it is also 90% public. Um, <clears throat> we also do the general season deer hunts on the San Juan unit for deer, a little bit of turkey, and then we run bear and lion on both units. So, so very little private land stuff. Gotcha. Um, so, your 
would you say if you had to choose, would you hunt elk, deer, or ch- or chase those hounds around? What's your what's your number one passion? Oh, it would be a tough choice, but I probably would. I'd probably go with with the hounds. <laughs> and how does the <laughs> season tough. how does the season work in Utah as far as uh, lion hunting? Is there a, a a liberal season like Arizona has, or is there certain dates and they shut it down on quotas? And and the same question with bears. Sure. So um, the the lion is. Uh, year-round you can basically run year-round obviously there are better months to hunt in we typically do the majority of our lion hunting between october and april um not only because it's a little bit cooler sometimes there's snow uh but in the you know the heat it it gets really tough to to trail and run lions and also you find yourself being messed up by the bear um once may comes around uh, our, our hounds run both bear and lion so it's kind of hard to tell them to quit chasing a bear when you're running a lion. So, and the bear season in Utah, it's it's not over the counter, correct? You actually have to apply for that. There are in Utah, there are a few harvest objective units, but the units we hunt in are uh, limited entry, and they're they're actually pretty limited entry. Um, very limited numbers of tags, uh, takes a little while to draw, but we are chasing and killing crazy class bears. And, uh, the lions. So when you have a hunter and you're out running the dogs and they start taking off after a bear, do you just go get the dogs and pull them off and try and get them back on a, you know, chasing lions? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the bear smells puts off a lot more scent than lions. So typically, uh, when you're run, if you're running a lion and they switch to a bear, they're more than likely not going to switch back to the lion. Or if they're in the same area, you're almost always going to end up on the bear. So that's why it usually becomes pretty difficult uh, running lion once you get in like those May through October months. What are you guys seeing uh, right now as far as your weather patterns? And have you started to thaw out? I, I, I understand a couple of weeks ago you actually had some really warm temperatures, but it's cooled back down. What are you seeing overall as your, your snowpack? And, you know, is it above normal? Where do you sit right now? Sure. So here in, in southern Utah, southern Colorado, um, we have received a ton of moisture this winter. A lot of it actually has been rain throughout the winter, um, almost the entire month of January when everybody else was getting snowstorms, we were getting rainstorms. So our moisture situation is great. Um, we're, we're actually thawed out almost dry dirt. It's a little bit of mud left, but a couple more warm days and, and it's going to be dirt. Um, now the mountains and the high country definitely still have a great snowpack, um, well above average snowpack. So really the perfect situation um now northern utah they've they've actually got hammered this year um matter of fact they've i'm pretty sure up in northern utah they were actually doing some feeding programs for the deers deer because they were starting to lose some deer um they've actually in utah i don't know if you know this but they implemented a statewide uh shed hunting ban until april 1st because of the stress that the animals are under this year yeah and i know that's been a hot topic there in utah um from an outfitter's perspective uh you know what's your take on the overall shed ban you know this i don't know if this is an outfitter's perspective or this is just mine it it wouldn't bother me if that was the case every year um Obviously, we all love to pick up sheds. I love to be out in the woods in the wintertime, but, uh, you know, when when we're chasing and harassing and stressing these animals and, and they're starving to death, freezing to death, uh, I, I mean, I'm perfectly fine with not getting out there until April. I, I think if, if more people would do that anyways, the shed hunting would be a little bit more enjoyable anyways. So, Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of what I'm hearing across the board. I mean, there are some people that are upset about it, but I think 
most everybody when they really sit back and think about it that you know they realize um it, it's important that those animals aren't super stressed uh let's let's shift our topic here to elk and elk specifically on the san juan the san juan is you know kind of the crown jewel of of elk hunting in utah it's, i know it's arguable um but most that you talk to always put the san juan in the top you know one two or three and most that i talk to put it as number one um what have you seen you know you're 34 uh what have you seen with the san juan and you know is it on an upswing is it just plodding along like normal or you know what what kind of trend as far as quality of bulls are you seeing there on the san juan sure so i've been hunting on the san juan since 2004 2005 um when i first started guiding and hunting over there uh it was climbing and and close to peak um i i would say seven eight maybe even nine um really the entire state of utah was just unreal i mean they were just harvesting giant bulls on every unit um it, it definitely took a downward everything did i would say the san juan went down in quality the least amount um it's always still had phenomenal quality um you know i would say nine through 12, 13. And then in these last three years, it's actually picked back up and kind of leveled off. Still a great trophy quality. Um, it, it seems like every year when the seasons are over, we feel like most of the big bulls get harvested. And then the next year, lo and behold, we've got a whole new crop of, of great 370 plus bulls. And you talk about 06, 07, 08, 09, just unbelievable quality in Utah. It, is the reason for the decline in quality strictly related to the amount of tags that were increased and killing too many bulls and that kind of ground checked them, so to speak, and brought the, the, the quality of bulls? You know, it seemed like you guys were killing, you know, 10, 12, 14 bulls a year over 400. Now it seems like, you know, there's two or three that are killed over 400 is it just from a tag numbers um specifically an increase in tag numbers i i don't i don't think so i i think the the division definitely manages or manages for an age class um and so when they start getting above that age class then they do increase the tags and they definitely there was a tag increase there um and so that probably paid, played a small role in it. Uh, my honest opinion is um, we're getting too good at what we do. I mean, there really are in the day and age of trail cameras and just, you know, thousand yard rifles. And we're getting too good at killing animals. And so guys are getting really really good at, at hunting these animals even average hunters are, are killing giant animals with you know i mean that's a controversial topic this is just my thoughts but with the technology we use we we're getting good at it so the the hunters are getting better and so that means that the they're just whacking more of the bigger bulls and you think that has every bit as much to do as is raising tag numbers in your specific unit i i wholeheartedly believe so yes okay i'm looking um go hunt insider is a title sponsor of this podcast and part of the insider you know they have the draw odds and i'm looking at the san juan specific here um looking at the unit mm -hmm. and it looks like uh the last year there was uh, an applicant that put in with 21 points for the archery hunt and he drew that tag and then there's only two uh let's see there's 13 resident tags and two non-resident uh one of the mm -hmm. non-resident uh went in with 21 points and then the other non-resident tag went with 10 points and there were actually 32 people with 10 points that put in there were 19 with 11 that didn't draw 26 with 12 that didn't draw 13 with 13 points 13 with 14 seven people with 15, five people with 16, and four people with 18. 
uh, no people with 17 points applied, one person with 19, and no people with 20 points. And what's interesting about that is uh, that people need to understand is that that one tag that went to the 21 holder, uh, that that's going in the max pool. But then when there's two tags, there's one whole tag that goes in the random draw, correct? Correct, yeah. So, and, and it's 50% of the tags go to a max point pool, and the other 50% go into a random pool. Um, so, anybody in that maximum category are allotted those uh, max point tags, and then the other ones are random. So, really, somebody with one point could have just as easily have drawn that tag. Well, not just as easily, but could have drawn that tag. Um, once you get out of the max point pool, uh, basically your bonus points are the number of tries you get at it. So if that tag holder that had 10, his name was basically in the hat 10 times. Um, so the gentleman that had 19 points had better odds, but not much better odds. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think you mean uh, 21 points that drew it, meaning he was in the max point pool, so he drew uh, but then he was the guaranteed, other, yeah, yeah the, he was guaranteed. The other tag went random. So yep. as far as when when guys, you know, are in that 21, 20, 19, 18, 17, they got to start really using this, you know, go hunt insider chart to see, uh, you know, the lap, no one applied with more than 21 points. And that guy that put in drew and nobody applied with 20 points, and there was one guy that drew with 19 points. So one would say that, okay, the guy that that put in last year with 19 points, he will have 20 points this year, and he's in the driver's seat probably for that tag that's in the max point pool. But then there's four right behind him at 18 points. So if, if you're sitting on 18 points, you basically have a one in five chance you know, of getting that tag, as soon as that 19 point guy gets out, you know, your, your odds go up even more. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we use the go hunt app also. I, this time of year when the application period is open, uh, I find myself either hitting it or calling Josh nightly after having conversations with both residents and non, uh, <laughs> you know, when they're telling us how many points they have and I, we just pull it right up and, well, you know, you're you. It's really nice when you can tell them if you'll do this, you're guaranteed. For instance, I've been in communication with a gentleman that uh, he wants to rifle hunt, and uh, he's but he's getting up there in age, and and honestly, in his point situation, he could potentially be 20 years out even as a resident um, if he's an unlucky guy. But if he'll switch to muzzleloader, and we talked about this. Uh, he will be guaranteed a tag and, and go hunt is what, what tells us that. And, uh, and so I think he's actually going to switch. It's, it really is a great thing. And, uh, so he's going to switch and he'll probably be hunting muzzleloader elk with us this year. Right on. Um, let's talk for a second about your deer. And I believe the San Juan is a limited entry deer unit. Uh, am I correct in that? Yeah, uh, Elk Ridge. So it's called San Juan Elk Ridge, and then there's a, a general unit that's it's called the Bajo Mountains um, that is ge- a general hunt. So Okay, so explain to the listeners um, the difference between a general deer hunt and a limited entry deer hunt. So both of them you still have to draw for the tags. Um, limited entry is a far less number of tags. Um, some of them are extremely limited entry. Um, the, the unit we hunt is that way. Uh, Elk Ridge, I think they give, and I haven't looked this year's numbers up, but it's usually between 20 and 25 rifle tags, 10 archery tags, 10 muzzleloader tags. And it's a big unit, so it's it's a very limited entry, um, very trophy class hunt. The, the general side, and, and this is the case in most of Utah, is uh, a much larger number of tags, but you're also going to encounter more more hunting pressure, more hunters. Um, you still have to draw a general tag. Um, in years past, it's been almost a lock, 
that you're going to get draw one every year. Um, here in the last few years, we've actually been seeing it's, I would say, 70% of the time, and I, I didn't look the odds up for that, but 70% of the time you're going to get a tag, but there is, you know, every couple of years there's a chance you're not going to get drawn. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the um, Gohan Insider Utah draw for San Juan Elk Ridge, the, uh, the October 21st to 29th, the rifle tag, and it looks like there's 25, last year there was 25 resident tags and three non-resident tags, and the highest point uh, holder was 18 points, uh, that, and, and th- he, he drew. Uh, the next highest point holder was 16 points, and he drew. And then it dropped all the way down to, I would assume, then the random pool uh, drew uh, with eight. The one question I would have is I've been applying for limited entry deer points uh, back when they, you know, before non-residents, you could only apply for elk or deer. You had to pick, and then they changed it where you could apply for elk and deer. I've been applying for limited entry uh, deer since then, but I've never applied for general season deer. Am I missing out on points, or do you not get points with the general draw? You do, and, and so they actually word it differently, but it's the same same thing. Um, the limited entry stuff, it's actually called a bonus point. The general season, they call it a preference point. Um, you do accumulate for both. They are completely separate points, though. They don't combine. Um, so I can't so, use my yes, limited you, entry. If I wanted to draw a general season, I can't use my limited entry deer for general. And that was one thing I made a mistake on um, is I didn't realize that I needed to be applying for general season and limited entry um, that way, if I ever wanted to draw a general, I would automatically have enough points. But what you're telling me is for most of the general season, you can draw it on the first year. And if not, maybe the, you know, one or two preference points, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And do you guys guide for both the general deer season and the limited entry deer or just the limited entry deer? We do for both. Okay, and so you guide the Abajo, which is the general season, um, and then you guide uh, the the Elk Ridge, which is the limited entry season or unit? Yeah, correct. We do both of them. How do you see the quality of bucks um, from one to the other? I mean, over the years, you know, what's the difference? Sure, it's significant. so the Elk Ridge is, um, I would say most would probably put it in the top six to seven units in the state. Of course, I'm a little bit biased. I feel like it's third or fourth best in the state. Obviously, Utah has the Henry's unit and the Ponsagon unit that are exceptional. Um, we're very successful in Elk Ridge, uh, both on the archery rifle muzzleloader. We, we find ourselves chasing 190-plus inch to several you know usually 200 plus inch deer every year um the the general side uh it really depends on how much effort a person wants to put into a hunt Um, just like any hunt that has large hunter numbers um if you if you just want to drive roads and look around and do a little glassing it's going to be tough to kill a big mature trophy buck um in the last few years the the abajo side has definitely been coming on strong we're finding ourselves every year chasing, um, seeing some of our guides are harvesting 170 to 180 plus inch deer on the Abajo unit during the archery hunt. So. Gotcha. And then do you guys have any private ground that if you drew the general season, um, tag, the general season deer tag, can you also hunt private over there? We do have access to a little bit and it's, it's kind of a trespass, fee type deal obviously we still have our our guide fee um but we do have access to some land that if a you know client wants to get away from the hustle and bustle um you know we can do pay the landowner trespass fee and hunt some private that uh has has great deer i mean i think a realistic goal for the abajo side is a you know 140 to 170 type um mule deer 
and uh we also do some some group hunts too where you know we'll we'll put in or we'll have guys put in as groups of three or four and come out and do you know archery deer and cow spike elk hunts um you know kind of as a combo hunt so okay uh and can you i'm kind of bouncing all around here but uh I'm looking at the archery San Juan Elk Ridge on Go Hunt here, and uh, in 2016, uh, well, first, there's nine resident archery tags and one non-resident. So in the situation where there's only one non-resident, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a random draw, meaning the guy with 20 points gets his name in the hat 20 times, but it 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 doesn't give them preference the 50% preference so it goes totally random like last year a guy with 13 points uh, drew there were four guys with 13 points and and um, uh, the guy randomly drew that tag correct that is correct yeah so he uh, so you'll you'll see a lot of times um, non-residents they won't be applying for um, there again, here's here's another great you know feature of, of Go Hunt. You can also find this information on the division website. Is they're going to look and go, okay, I've got a pile of points. I've got 19, 20, 21, 22 points. I need to apply in a unit that has a bonus tag because it's going to quadruple or ten times my odds of drawing that tag. So you'll actually have a lot of guys with extremely high numbers of tags. Uh, shying away from the units that don't have a bonus tag right so yeah i mean that makes sense where they they know that it's they may get more names in the hat so to speak but that anybody could draw at any point level so that their preference in other words if you have super high points putting in for a one tag unit doesn't really give you super odds over the guy that has three points i mean it gives you a little bit more but not significantly more so if you have a ton of points you need to use those in units that have more than one tag correct yep that would have a bonus tag available okay sounds good um i want to ask you about i want to shift a little bit talking about the elk and are there spike and cow over-the-counter archery tags during the limited entry archery elk season on the San Juan unit? There, there are. It's a, it's a general spike tag. Um, they still cap it. Um, you, you can buy it over-the-counter, but it does have a cap. Once they hit X amount, and I'm not sure what that number is this year, um, but once they hit X amount, uh, then they cap it. You can't purchase anymore. They go on sale typically, I believe, in June um, after the antlerless drawings. Okay. And and so with sorry, so with that tag, that spike tag, spike tag on the archery hunt, you can shoot a cow. Okay, so you can shoot a spike or a cow. And is that cap that you talk about? Uh, different from other units like the beaver or the boulder um, or is that specific to the San Juan where they actually cap those or do they also cap them in all those other units as well? I believe it's unit specific um, so the, the San Juan will have a different number than beaver boulder um, any of those other units uh, so it's not a statewide cap, if that's what you're asking. I guess what I'm I'm asking is, you're talking, it's probably in the thousands, though, the cap. I mean, like most people, if they want a spike and cow archery tag, they can get it. Most people can get yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely, like I said, they go on sale. Um, and you can get on the Utah Division of Wildlife page, and um, it'll, it'll tell you when those go on sale. You, you definitely don't want to waste time i mean you want to try to purchase it the day they go on sale if not you know within a few days of them going on sale because if you try a month later there's a good chance they're going to be gone yeah that makes sense uh i also want you to speak a little bit about the conservation tags um 
how those conservation tags work for both deer and elk on the San Juan unit and give me a little breakdown, a rough breakdown of like what those tags typically sell for over the last couple of years. And you can speak in fairly general terms in explaining that if you want. Sure. So um, what a lot of people don't realize is there's actually two two different tags here when we're talking about this. There's a, a, The division does give conservation organizations like SFW, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, National Wild Turkey Federation, SCI, they give them tags um, to auction those tags off. And uh, the money goes back to conservation, gets poured back into conservation of these animals. Um, there is also landowner tags that, that the San Juan also has available. And basically it's, you know, collectively a landowner's association has X amount of acres, so the division also gives them landowner tags basically saying we understand that that these animals destroy your your property and and eat your uh, cattle's food and, and and destroy stuff so we're giving you these tags to auction them off and hopefully compensate some of the damage that these animals create on your property um so there are also landowner tags available the only reason i mention that is because a lot of times the landowners association actually give them to these conservation organizations to auction at their banquets also. Um, the Landowners Association keeps the majority of the money and the conservation organization keeps a portion of it. Um, so, so if you look up, you know, conservation tag numbers, there's usually quite a few more for auction than it shows that were given to a conservation organization because typically they're also including, you know, those landowners or your, your, at the auction seeing these landowner tags also. So um, let's just say San Juan Elk Ridge for the elk. I believe there's typically usually between seven and nine between landowner and conservation tags. Um, and then for the deer, there's typically four to five for the deer tags. Um, the, the elk have always went high. Um, they trend high, they trend low. We're definitely in a high trend right now. Um, a few years ago, you could pick a deal up and, and get one maybe for seventeen to twenty, twenty-two thousand dollars Um, they've been pretty consistently the last couple of years, well in excess of 30, if not approaching $40,000 for the tags. Um, is the there a discrepancy deer, oh, between the archery and the rifle? I mean, I would assume the archery goes for less, but there's very few tags, so maybe they're all about the same price. Yeah, so um, the the landowner tags are typically choose your season, um, so they can actually, when they auction those ones off, you buy it and you can pick what season you want. There's usually, every year they'll, they typically will either do a archery only or a muzzleloader only, and, and usually it goes for less money, yes. Um, still, the last few years, you know, incredibly high. They also do a premium, which you can hunt all seasons with, and, and they typically, that one actually just sold at the Western Hunter, the Western Hunting Expo uh, last week for $55,000 because the person that has it can hunt archery, rifle, muzzleloader, late rifle. So. And on that premium, um, just so I heard you correctly, the premium tag in Utah means you can hunt all of those seasons. You don't have to pick a season. You can hunt all of them. And, and, and in, in other words, you could hunt the archery, you could hunt the muzzleloader, you could hunt the early rifle, and then you could end up killing the bull in the in the late hunt, correct? Correct, yep. And they also um, do give out premium tags also, or you, there is a, a drawing process for premium tags also on most units. And that's in the hunt expo tags where you can actually just, uh, for $5 or whatever, be the, the, the lucky winner. Um, no, uh, mo no, sorry, what I meant there was they actually have a premium tag in the draw system. So when someone is applying for a tag through the Division of Wildlife, most units also have the option for a premium tag. Oh, okay, I understand. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
Yeah, it's you know Utah's system is. Um, how do you how do you like the draw system? And is there anything that you would change about it, or do you like it? I I actually like the draw system. Um, of course, the point creep is going to happen, and it's going to keep climbing, and and so it, it's always going to be tough to to draw a tag, but. I I like it far better than say Colorado where you basically have to have the maximum number of points or you don't have a chance. I mean they have the hybrid draw in Colorado now, but it's a very small chance. Um every single year, especially with non residents, um we, we take a lot of the non resident hunters. Um so many of them have three, four, five, six points and draw, so they really do have a legitimate chance of drawing, you know, a once in a lifetime tag in a relatively short time. So let's talk about the timing of the archery season. And I'm talking specifically about elk, uh, starting, uh, I believe around the 19th of, I think this year coming up, it's starting the 19th or so of August. Um, and then it ends, I believe on the 15th, or 16th of September, um, as, as, as a guide outfitter and, and a, and a hunter that, that hunts that unit, walk me through kind of the timing of the season and how things change as that season progresses. Sure. So really just as the hunt starting or right before the hunt starts, the bulls are just stripping their velvet. Uh, a lot of times, within days of the hunt is when they start stripping. Um, they, the problem is, you know this, when they strip, they instantly, their pattern changes. Um, so, so we see this a lot. A lot of guys scout all summer long. They're seeing these giant bulls. They are feeling great about it. All of a sudden, the hunt opens. The bulls are pretty much silent. You might hear occasional bugle here and there. But... Uh, all of a sudden those bulls all just disappear within days before the hunt and these guys are already in panic mode. Um, so really the, the first week to two weeks of the hunt, um, your best bet by far is going to be sitting water or sitting salt. Um, after two weeks, you're going to start noticing them starting to pick up um, with the bugling. Um, but really it's not until the last week of the hunt that, that the rut is, it's still early stages of rut, and so it's hit or miss like early rut is. Um, some mornings they'll be going really well, and other mornings uh, you, you won't hardly hear anything. So when we book our tree hunters, um, we always book them the last week of the hunt because it, rut, rut stages-wise is by far the best. The, the rut typically doesn't peak until the rifle hunt. And so with that rifle hunt uh, starting the day after the archery hunt ends, in other words, there's no break. It just goes from archery ending on the 16th to the 17th starts the rifle. It, it's really amped up during that hunt, is it not? Yeah, the, the rut is uh, um, very few people get to experience it like uh, like we do. I'm sure you've been in some of those situations. It's it's an absolute rutting frenzy. Uh, a lot of times the bulls, they know you're there and they don't even care. Once a cow comes into estrus, uh, we've literally been in situations where there's been a herd bull with three cows and there's 10 or 12 other bulls dogging and harassing and fighting. And, and it's, it's an elk hunter's dream. I mean, it's, it's an experience that very few people get to experience. Uh, from an outfitting perspective, bouncing back to the archery elk season with that spike and cow hunt, how much um, disturbance do the spike and cow hunters cause the limited entry hunters in your mind, uh, or do they spread out pretty good and it's not a real problem? You know, they spread out fairly well. The the weekends are tough, obviously. Uh, most cow and spike hunters are, are just weekend hunters, so you have the weekdays typically to yourself. Um, we hunt the deer the first 
week of the archery season because they're still in a, a summer pattern. Um, it affects the deer hunting way more than it does the elk hunting because the, the elk hunting most aren't hunting or getting serious until the last two weeks and the cow spike hunters are typically done by then. Um, but it definitely affects the deer hunt. Interesting. And then the muzzleloader elk season is after the, the, what I would call the early rifle season. And how is that muzzleloader hunt? Are they still bugling to beat the band or have they been jostled around pretty good between the archery and the early rifle or, or to some years is that muzzleloader hunt the best bugling of the whole year? Yeah, some, some years, um, it can actually be the very best hunt. Now, a lot of the, the bulls that people have been watching all summer, a lot of those big bulls have been harvested. But that's, you know, the San Juan is a, a huge unit. It's a deep unit. It's nasty. It's thick. It's steep. There are bulls that nobody knows exist on that unit. And it seems like your best bet to have one of those giants come out of the depths seems to almost always be in the muzzleloader season. Gotcha. How's the antler breakage um, during the muzzleloader season? Uh, you're definitely uh, there's there's a fair amount. Um, it really even by the middle to end of the rifle season, you're definitely uh, sorting over bulls that have broken tines. And then the very next season would be, or the last season would be the late elk hunt. Um, the late elk hunt on the San Juan can be one of the best hunts of the whole deal, right? And if so, if you agree with that, tell me why. It, it's actually not. It's, it is by far the toughest hunt on the San Juan. Oh, it is. Um, and one, it is, and it's one of the tougher hunts in the state. Um, when that hunt came out, it's probably been eight or nine years ago, we had high hopes for it most guys have high hopes for it we learned really quickly that first of all a lot of the bulls actually leave the unit um to to go over into basically in any bull unit to winter um and then a lot of them are dropping off into just uh you would just have to see the san juan unit to understand there's some of the most wicked deepest nastiest country you've ever seen it's just almost impossible to hunt an elk in um when they're bugling let alone when they're you know hiding out and trying to recover from the rut so and then the bull to cow ratio is insane on the san juan unit so eight hunt um it's it's really tough to find an intact bull uh as a rule of thumb we, we pretty much tell our hunters any 350 plus bull that's intact you you really should be considering shooting even on the first day um as opposed to say our rifle hunts you know we're we're typically gunning for 370 plus bulls um now that being said in the last few years we've we personally have started to really figure it out and have some spots that that uh are looking up and uh we've i think we've harvested a 380 plus bull in the last three late hunts so but most people you run into in the late hunt, they're they're struggling with it. You know, a lot of them end up shooting, you know, three, four-year-old bulls that some of them aren't even breaking 300 inches. Really? Yeah. How much do you know about uh, the other units uh, in Utah other than the San Juan? I mean, do you know, have you hunted a bunch of the other units or do you, have you stayed stayed pretty focused on the San Juan unit? Mostly San Juan and LaSalle. Um, obviously, some of our guides, you know, know guys in other units and, and do stuff on other units. I mean, I, I feel like we have a fairly good grasp about, of, you know, what other units are, the top units, um, but we don't personally go and hunt and guide in them. Let's talk about the LaSalle a little bit Um I'm looking at the archery on the LaSalle, and it looks like, speaking about non-residents, um, the highest point holder last year, well, first of all, looking at this Go Hunt Insider, there were 25 resident tags and three non-resident tags, 
And so this would obviously fall into, you know, the, there, there is a bonus tag, um, correct? And it looks like, yes. it looks like um, the highest point holder was 12 points, and that person drew in 2016. And then the next point, uh, the guy with seven points drew, and then there was someone with four points that drew that tag. How is that uh, hunt for quality on the LaSalle compared to, um, well, not compared to the San Juan. Just talk about the LaSalle in general. How is that hunt? How does the terrain differ? And, you know, what kind of quality can someone expect on there? Sure. So LaSalle, it's still a really great hunt. Um, typically in the archery hunt, we're telling our clients that a you know a 320 to 340 bull is a, a very good bull um during the rifle hunt we're we're gunning more for that 330 to occasionally 370 range but i'd say 330 to 360 type elk hunt um it's it's a steep mountain it's a thick mountain um, there are some lower flat stuff but the seems like the the majority of the elk and where we do the majority of our hunting is in the thicker steeper stuff still a very fun hunt great unit good rutting um we're running into over the last couple of years i i think we're running into a lot of people that are just coming to the realization that even though they have 16 17 18 points they still potentially could be several years out on on san juan and and some of these gentlemen and ladies are getting up to you know, 55, 60, 65 years old. So we've actually had a fair amount of people switching and putting in for LaSalle because it's still a great hunt. And, you know, we've we've gotten pretty spoiled in the last 10 years, you know, with the caliber elk that really all states have been killing that uh, sometimes we forget that a, a 350 bull is still a giant bull. And, and that's a very realistic expectation on LaSalle. Okay. That's uh, that's good to know, and I'm sure the listeners will <clears throat> appreciate that. Uh, I, I've got a couple follow-up questions about you. Also, do Colorado lion over-the-counter um, hunts? So, if someone comes with with you, can they hunt? I mean, can they live, logistically hunt a lion in Colorado and a lion in Utah in the same hunt, or do you not try and do that? Uh, sure. We, I mean, I've had, uh, a couple people toy with the idea. Um, nobody has, but yeah, we could, you know, spend five days in Colorado, harvest a lion and then go over to Utah, which is only an hour away and, and harvest a second lion. And how, what would you say your prime months for, for chasing hounds for specifically lions? I mean, is it going on right now or when is the prime month? Or two. Sure. So in Colorado, it seems like uh, November and December um, typically are our best months. We hunt a little bit more high country. Um, usually by January, the snow is getting sometimes unmanageable. Um, so November, December in Colorado. Utah, I would say, is December, January, February are probably the prime months for, for snow conditions. Um, if you want to do a, a dirt lion hunt, um, where we do a lot more hiking with the hounds and out in the canyons, um, rather than driving around and looking for tracks, we're hiking canyons that we know or hope there are lions in and just letting the hounds start the lion. Um, then usually October, November and March and April are the best months for those style of hunts. Okay. Good stuff. Um, I heard you mention earlier about turkeys. I'm I'm a bit of a turkey nut uh, myself, mm -hmm. and from what I understand, the San Juan is covered up in turkeys. Yes, yeah, it's it's really starting to come back. Um, in I think it was the winter of 2010, uh, we just had a brutal winter, and I was talking to the one of the division wildlife officers, and he said they figured that they had probably an 85% winter kill. And it was tough for a few years, but they are, they have come back and they are in full force. It's uh we, we run into a lot of turkeys. Um, I do, I, we guide spring turkey hunters, but you know, we're also bear hunting and uh, it, there's probably no place you could go anywhere that you can get into 
more Merriams and more vocal Merriams turkeys in the spring. And how does um, how, how do those th- those are by draw in Utah, correct? So um, there, it's a split unit. So the month of April, or there's specific dates in April, but it's almost the entire month, is a draw-only hunt. They then have an over-the-counter hunt in May. Um, the hunting's still good. If a person was to do May, you definitely would want to do the first week or two in May. But uh, the by far, the, the premium season would be the draw that you're hunting them in April. Well, it sounds good. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today. I want to give you a chance, Randy, to um, let the listeners know where they can uh, find more about you guys, how to contact you guys. I know this draw uh, for the listeners out there, I believe the deadline is March 2nd. I believe that's Thursday coming up here. Um, and this this podcast is going to air here. Um, I'm going to turn it around quickly so that uh, people can hear that. How can they get a hold of you? Sure. So um, you can either go to our website, which is www.blacktimberoutfitters.net, or um, if anybody has any questions, they can also email me. It is randy at blacktimberoutfitters.net, and feel free to give me a call. I love to talk hunting. I love to I mean, I'll be realistic with what your uh, what your odds are, um, what kind of expectations for you can have. Um, we can make something work for you. It's 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 our passion, not uh, harvesting giant animals, helping people harvest once in a lifetime trophies is what we live for. So, well, uh, Randy, I appreciate you spending time here. Um, you definitely live in a beautiful part of the world. Uh, I've got. Uh, friends that live in Cortez and, uh, you know, the San Juan, I, I have not hunted it, but I've driven through that Monticello area and Blanding and, and, um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful mountain and, uh, look forward to hunting it someday for turkeys or, or maybe even a general deer or, or spike and cow or something like that. So, um, I want to encourage the listeners to, uh, check out, uh, Randy and Josh's site, blacktimberoutfitters.net and uh, make sure to get a hold of Randy and I appreciate you spending time uh, here with us today talking about Utah. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. All right, buddy. You take care and God bless, okay?